Welcome to the Mama Truth Show, where soulful mamas embrace the whole truth of the messiness and magic of motherhood. Check us out at mamatruthshow.com. Here's your host, Amy Ehlers, the Wake Up Call Coach. Hello, mamas. It's Amy Ehlers, the Wake Up Call Coach here. Welcome to another episode of the Mama Truth Show. This is part of our race relation series that I'm doing here on the Mama Truth Show. And as always, as I begin these shows on race relations, I've just been being vulnerable with all of you. And I, just as I was with our amazing guest, who I'm going to introduce in a moment, of just saying I get nervous before these shows because there is nothing I want more than to bring more light into the world and more justice into the world. And I know that by having uncomfortable conversations and doing um, extraordinary truth-telling, that will help that to happen. But that doesn't mean that it's not uncomfortable. So I'm so grateful that I've had so many incredible experts and mothers from all sorts of different backgrounds step forward to say that they are willing to share on the show, on this series. And I'm so incredibly honored and inspired that I have the marvelous Kara Wright with us here today. Thank you so much, Cara, for being here. I want to just let everybody know a little bit about you and your background, and they will see immediately why I'm so thrilled that you're with us today. Um, so Cara is the founder of MindHearted Inc., which is at mindhearted.com. It's a diversity education company for parents that are passionate about raising culturally competent children. Yes, please sign me up. Um, the Mindhearted community has a mission of respecting and building understanding with people regardless of background, of beliefs, of education, experience, gender, sexual identity, religion, or skin tone. Cara's clients have affectionately dubbed her America's first diversity coach. Cara is a deliriously happy mother raising a mind-hearted daughter with her husband and resides in Chicago, Illinois. So thank you so much, Cara, for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's a privilege. Thank you. Oh my goodness. The privilege is mine. Believe me. Um, so one of the things that I would just love is for you to share with all of these Mama Truth show listeners here a little bit about yourself and your background and your story and really what led you to be doing this kind of work in the world. Sure. Um, first, let me just say that I too am nervous. Are you? I am. Yeah. Uh, I feel very emotional right now um, having this conversation, even though this is you know, the work that I do. Yeah. Uh, but this is one of the first public conversations that I've had in quite some time in talking with a group of parents. Um, and I typically, uh, I, I, I tend to really enjoy when I am with mothers in the room, you know, when we're right. in one space together. And so, um, um, although technology is wonderful, yeah. uh, and I'm so grateful for the technology, I know, right? <laughs> um, it, it, it leaves me feeling more vulnerable in this space than us not being together. So, um, so I'm with you in that. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm there with you. Um, yeah. So we walk in this conversation together. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Well, it's, and it's a time when tensions are really high and questions are really high and misunderstandings are really high. And it's just a really 
huge topic. And I'm, and I'm with you when we're together in the room, sitting in a circle or sharing in groups or what have you, and you can touch and feel and see people. Yes. There's this way in which we can, you know, bring the masks down even further. So thank you for letting this be one of your first public conversations at such a huge emotional time. And also um, just honoring the work that you do in the world. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, to um, answer your question, yeah. uh, I grew up in a small town in Illinois, and um, we lived in a very homogeneous community that did not look like me. Mm. And um, I think I had a very early on uh, uh experience, multiple experiences in my life where I felt different. And Mind Target really was my answer to, um, my answer to hopefully not have other children feel the pain behind what that means of being, you know, of being different. Yeah. Um, it was my answer to that. And, um, I got to MindTarget.com because by, um, uh, trade, I'm a diversity, uh, consultant. Yeah. Um, where I worked with Fortune 500 and Fortune 100 and nonprofits and city, state level organizations and helping them to really talk about their diversity strategies. And um, while there was a lot of consulting that I did, there was also a lot of training and education that I provided. Um, and it was in those training and education platforms that people said to me whether they were you know, folks in the C-suite or whether they were middle line managers or whether they were individual contributors, they would always say, you know, if we had have had these types of conversations growing up, this could have really made a very big difference in my life. And I am going to now go home and talk to my family about the things that we've talked about today at work. And so um, I happened to be pregnant at the time when I was doing, I was on a very large project and doing a lot of training and having a lot of those same um, uh, sentiments directed towards me. Yeah. And it just made sense to me to create um, an, uh, a resource for parents who are really grappling with a lot of these questions, not just around race, but around all of the ways in which we identify. And so that's how Mind Target was born. It's amazing, isn't it? What like the the messages and the callings that come forth when we have babies? Yes, <laughs> isn't it amazing? I just find it to be such an incredibly creative time. Whether we give birth through our bodies, or we have a surrogate, or we adopt, like whatever the pathway to motherhood is, right. I feel like motherhood activates us so much to create a better world because we want that for our children. That's a really good word, activates us. Yeah. yeah. I feel really activated right now and really agitated too. Yes. It's like that agitation. Yes. And, and I know my girls are picking up on it. And that, that kind of brings me to one of the first questions I wanted to ask you because obviously um, with, especially in the recent weeks, you know, different videos coming forth of black, black people being murdered by, I'll use the word murdered because that's what it feels like for me when I watch the videos. Um, you know, by police officers. And I sit there and I look at my almost nine-year-old daughter and I think, when is, with this violence, with the truth of what's going on, what is that dance that we do as moms between telling our children the truth and then also shielding and protecting them? Yeah, um, that's a really difficult line to walk. I mean, it's a fine line. And, um, I think this answer will sound different for different families. Yeah. Um, 
But what I will say is that um, if, so if you've got children who are actively seeing what's going on in the world. Right. Um, so we're, you know, certainly not talking about our preschoolers um, right. or our toddlers, but if you have children who are of age and actively seeing what's going on in the world, um, it is really important for us to um, create an environment in our homes where we um, create the value that we do have conversations about this. Yeah. Um, so, and, and the reason why I say that first is because our children not only learn from the things that we say, but they also learn from the things that we don't say. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, it's got chills. <laughs> Right. And so particularly for um, families, uh, well, well, let me just say this. Families of color are talking about these conversations all the time. You know, people of color are having conversations about race all the time because it is something that we live with every day. Um, it is something that we have to talk about in order to have strategies to stay safe emotionally, to stay safe physically, um, to have strategies around um, how we live out our careers and live out our passions. Um, it really impacts every aspect of our lives. So race, uh, a lot, not all, but many people of color are very competent in having these discussions. And when I'm working with my group, particularly with my um, parents who are white, um, oftentimes they haven't really had discussions around race. So I can understand that it creates a lot of uncertainty. And one of the things that I um, ask my groups are, okay, who in the room grew up talking about race and all the hands go up of the parents of people of color, right? And then I say, well, who in the room um, grew up um, that was told that talking about race was wrong or bad or rude? And all of my parents who are white, their hands go up, right? And so you get white parents in the room and people of color, parents of people, um, parents that are uh, of color in the room, and you want them to have a conversation about race, but you've got one group over here who's like, no, that's wrong. <laughs> right, right. But no, we have to talk about this because our lives are at stake. We're worried about our children and you don't want to talk about this, but this is impacting all of us. So the thing I would say, number one is we've got to create a space to have the conversation. Yeah. Right? Um, now I know that I I am often told that, you know, I don't know what to say. I don't know where to begin. Right. So one of the things that I say to my parents, um, is it's an opportunity to raise some questions for your children, just to learn more about where they are so that you can find some intersection or, or um, an opportunity to interject in a way that it connects for where they are and how they're processing it. So for example, I have a 13 year old and just last night I said to her, Hey, I just want to check in with you. There's a lot happening. We've been, you know, watching a lot of things together. We've been looking at a lot of videos. We've been reading a lot of articles. I want to know how you're feeling about all of this. Yeah. And that's the point where, um, you know, that's an entry for her to share yeah. with me. And that gives me tips, that gives me ideas and information on how to best move forward. You know, it's so interesting because um, my oldest daughter, Annabella, was asked me, <clears throat> this was a few weeks ago, but one of her best friends is, is black. Mm-hmm. And um, 
she was asking me if it was okay when she colored her friend, if it was okay if she used a black crayon. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, wow, that's, that's, that's really interesting, sweetheart. And I just got really curious. I was like, well, um, what makes you say that? And she said, well, I don't want to offend her because, you know, black people used to be slaves in this country, mom. And it was really wrong. And I was like, yeah, they did. And I, I, I was just, you know, in that moment. What do I do now? And I asked her, I said, well, how would you feel if this little girl, I won't say her name just to respect her privacy, but I just said, you know, how would you feel if this little girl drew a picture of you and used like a little pink crayon? Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, fine. And I said, yeah, because that's the truth of how you look. So I don't, think, I don't think that it would be offensive to her if you drew her how she looks. And she's like, yeah, I just don't know because sometimes, because they have had conversations about Barbies before and how Barbies look different and her hair is different and the braids and the bit, like all of these, like they've been having these conversations together. And these discussions together. And, and then I, like, as the white mom that is like, oh, my gosh, like, I'm freaking out. I don't want to say the wrong thing. Like, what's the right thing to say? How do I talk about this? Like, what do I say? I just feel all that discomfort. So I just went into my coaching skills of, like, just get curious. Just ask, ask questions. See what's going on in there. But and, and, and I know that there's been times, and I've talked with other friends, where, you know, their children will come home and they'll say something racist. Yeah. They'll say a comment or, or really say something that they don't know is racist. It's their innocence, but they make some sort of big swooping generalization about black kids or, you know, um, Mexican kids or whatever the, the race is. And the parent is like caught like a deer in the headlights, because like you said, we were taught it was rude to talk about it. You don't have these conversations. You're not going to say the right thing. So it's just best to avoid it altogether. Mm-hmm. Well, so, all right. So there are two questions in there. Yeah. So one of the things that I would say was an opportunity for you to talk with your daughter and to ask her, maybe you can ask your friend how she feels. Oh, you're so (laughs) brilliant. Because, and not only that, but an opportunity, and sounded like you did, to validate her and catch her doing good. And to let her know that talking about this is okay. So, you know, telling your daughter, you know, I really appreciate you being so thoughtful about this and Mm -hmm. really respecting your friend enough to want to honor how she identifies and to want to illustrate that in a way that really embraces all of her um, or at least one aspect of her. Um, and if you're not sure, maybe you can talk to her about it because we don't want to make any assumptions. So just ask her, right? But I love that you're being thoughtful about this. And I love that you recognize the beauty in your difference, Uh, right? So it's just a way of helping her to learn advocacy and inquiry skills, um, also helping her to helping to reinforce to her that this is okay to talk about. And in fact, we need to talk about this. Yeah. And then to that second question, I would say, um, and all of our children come home and say something that stops us in our tracks. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Whether it's about, you know, sex, drugs, race, like everything. As a parent, you're just like, can we avoid all of these topics, please? Ah!" I mean, really, it's oh. just like, I'm not quite ready for that. I know, right? <laughs> <It's> like, 
um, which is why we have to like be on our, um, why we have to be thinking about this intentionally, right? Because yeah. our children really are processing these things and the way that we see things, they see things too. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, if our children come home, I'll, I'll give you an example with my own daughter. She came home, well, actually, were we, I don't, I can't, okay, so she's 13. So this is a really long time ago. But I do remember, um, I, I don't know if we were at school at the lockers or if we were, at home with a group of parents that were over, um, hosting a group of parents. I can't remember, but I do remember her saying, I think I want to have two moms. And it was with um, a family of two moms. Yeah. And was sitting right next to us or standing right next to us. And it wasn't anything bad. It wasn't anything no. wrong. I mean, clearly she had recognized the value of having women. <laughs> you know, I was like, you know, really happy that she recognized that, but also like wondering, oh my God, like, is she going to internalize all the things that women take on? Right. I mean, that's a whole nother topic. Right, but, right, right, right. But it, it, it did stop me in my tracks, right? It just kind of caught me. It's like, oh, wait, like I wasn't ready for that. And so I, I just want to say that's a natural reaction. Right. Particularly when we aren't taught to have these conversations. Right. When we're taught that having these conversations aren't safe. Right. Um, so that's a very normal reaction. But the thing that I would say is to, again, um, pull out those inquiry skills and that curiosity that you talked about. Yeah. That's a really good tool yeah. um, to use when we have discussions around difference. So if your you know, little girl comes home and says something that feels so wrong to you, honey, what made you say that? Um, what brought you to that um, thought? Can you share with me um, why you think that is? Right. Uh, you know, so uh, again, we're just really digging beneath, you know, our assumptions because we have a lot of baggage around race. Our children do not. Okay. And so it's really easy to panic. Right. <laughs> and here's the good news for parents. Um, we don't have to have all the answers right when we have the conversation. We get to come back later and say, remember when we had this conversation about whether you should use a certain color crayon to color one of your friends? Right. I've had some time to think about it. Right. And um, I actually did some research or I actually talked to my friend who looks the same as your friend. Right. And here's what she said. So it's just more information and another opportunity to reintroduce this concept and this topic again to support the idea that it's really okay to talk about this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That is, I, I think that's so beautiful because I, I, I love like opening the doorway and starting to opening, open the doorway from a young age because I, I know I was reading one of the resources on your website, which is awesome. Everyone should check it out. It's mind hearted.com. There's some amazing resources there. And there was one article, I can't remember if it was one of your blog posts or a resource, but it was talking about this idea that we should raise our kids to be colorblind. And just, um, so I'll just let you talk about that. <laughs> talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, personally, <laughs> it really angers me when someone says to me, I don't see, I don't see you as black. Um, because what it does is erase an entire, um, entire part of my being um, and denies 
my experience in this world, which is very different from other people who are not Black. Yeah. And what that does is really silence my experience and my need to be able to have that experience acknowledged so that we can work on the things that are unjust, yeah. right? So if we don't see color, then nothing's wrong. Then none of these things could be happening because we, we just see human beings. Well, not true, right? Not true. Um, as a professional, what I would say is, when you do that, you really erase people's <laughs> identities. Yeah. You run the risk of, um, you really run the risk of not seeing that person for the totality of who they are. Um, so, yeah. I, yeah, I love that. And I think that it's, I mean, any of us here as moms who have babies and have watched them grow up to a point where they're talking, know that they see color. Like there's, there, how could you, I mean, it's just, it's like gender, like you see it. And I have a really good friend, a family friend who has a transgender daughter. And it's like, people were shocked when she made her transition in kindergarten. And I'm like, I'm sorry, do you, have you ever met a preschooler that's not like going boy, girl, boy, girl, boy, girl? Yes. <laughs> like, I will only wear skirts today. Yeah, I will that's only, wear, yes, that's right. Exactly. That's right. Yeah, so I think that um, I think it's really important for us to honor each other's experiences and one another's experiences, and I think that's really um, important. I, you know, I we were talking for a moment um, before we started recording, and I was like, oh, let's let's start recording before we get into this. But I was reading an article before this interview about white fragility and how fragile white people are about the conversation of race, and I would just love for you to talk. Cara, a little bit about that, the idea of that, what that means, maybe even some stuff about white privilege and what that means. Um, that would be great. Sure. Um, white fragility, I think, is a really useful um, term for people to really understand and to um, kind of grapple with and spend some time with. Mm -hmm. um, and essentially what it means is that um, here's how it can play out. Um, we in a room and we have conversations around race and um, people of color are sharing things that have happened to them because of that specific identity mm -hmm. and a white person in the room starts crying and says, I don't know what to do with this. Help me. Mm -hmm. um, this is so painful. And the room shifts to that person instead of the person of color who's really in the pain because it's been happening to them. Um, so, I just have to take a breath on that. And that's okay. Cara, then I just, I, and I have a feeling there's a lot of moms watching, especially probably moms um, that are white like me that go, wow, I've done that. Well, and it is painful. It is painful. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that your emotions are not to be acknowledged. Right. Mean that you are not to be cared for. Right. It just means that the fragility, right, managed. It's the same way we are with our children, right? right? If something terrible happens to our children, we find the fortitude to hold in our feelings, so we can work with our children who desperately need our attention, and our. Um, and, and need us to be in tune with their feelings so that we can give them what they need, right? And then we go in the room and we break down, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I and do. So it's the same concept. Or on a bigger level, um, white fragility looks like, um, 
I don't understand, you know, why all these black people are talking about police brutality. Um, I don't understand why I have to deal with this. Uh, I don't understand why we have to talk about this as a country. I didn't own slaves. I didn't do anything wrong. Um, and, and I understand where that comes from. And I think people who do race work completely understand that. Doesn't mean that that's where we need to stop. Right. Doesn't mean that there doesn't need to be some accountability. But certainly it makes sense to me if, you know, someone white has never had to talk about race, has never had to deal with race, has never ever felt othered because of their race. Um, it's the air that that you breathe as a white identifying person it's normal right everybody else has a color or a race but white people are normal so you know it's it's understandable when we start having these conversations particularly at a a, a, a discourse in the national you know sphere but it doesn't make it okay right. it's understandable though right and so the idea around white fragility is just to, um, I guess what I would say is to really, as a parent, the, the closest analogy that I could draw that might make sense is the one that I gave earlier. Yeah. You know, when our children need us in their most vulnerable moments, we somehow find the space and the courage and the strength to um, give them what they need. And I would say in the conversation around race and racism, um, I think it's important for white people to give people of color the space that they need to be angry, to be hurt, to be sad, to be vulnerable, to... Um, white fragility especially comes up when people of color express their anger. Yeah. Here's people. And, um, but if, if, if you see people that you love and care about every day that are treated unjustly, it's like asking a rape victim not to be angry. It's like asking a, um, you know, a victim of a brutal attack not to be angry. It's, it's, it, it, it's like asking our children who have been beat up at the playground to not be upset or to not be sad. It just, it's not possible. It's just something that's um, just not quite fair to ask. I, I just have chills. I just so appreciate you talking about that so beautifully so that I, I just learned so much. Cara, thank you. And, you know, it's interesting because I did have um, not a ton of people, but when I, I posted on Facebook about just the horror of um, the recent shootings and, and wanting to do the show, which was how I ended up having you on the show. Um, but I did have a couple people um, post that it was, um, what was the word, inappropriate and not okay for me to ask um, people in the black community to come on my show to talk about this because they felt like it was putting the weight of the conversation on the black community instead of, and I think part of it is what you're talking about, instead of giving the black community space to be with what they need to be with. 
And I'm, and I was like, wow, I, a, I, I get that. And I honor that. And I would never want someone to come on the show if it felt like a pressure or not good to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, well, hopefully anybody that responds will feel like it's a win, 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 win for you, win for me, win for all this community that's doing that. And the people that have reached out, those are the people that I've had on the show. But I was curious about that, um, that specific viewpoint and what that was about. Yeah. Um, so I can appreciate those um, responses. Yeah. So to those folks who sent you those messages, thank you. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, there is some very real um, appreciation um, in that understanding. Um, so for me, I accept it because this is the work that I happen to do. Right. <laughs> um, so I'm very comfortable doing that. However, um, I think one of the things that I actually was going to close with, but that I will share with you now or ask you now yeah. um, or or um, request, I guess, is really uh, thinking about having someone on the show who is going to talk about what it means to be white. Mm-hmm. Um, people of color have always talked about what it means to be Black or Hispanic or Asian or um, Native American or, you know, the, the multitude of um, uh, identities that we have um, around the social construct that we call race. Um, but we very seldomly hear conversations around what it means to be white. And I believe that that really is the baseline for where this conversation needs to start. Um, because it's going to take white people to understand what it means to be white, to connect to the stories of people of color who are saying that their experiences are incredibly different. Mm-hmm. So. I don't. I think that that's a really beautiful challenge, and I and I get um, how that viewpoint. Well, it's it's uncomfortable. Um, I think for for myself, I'll speak for myself, and I think probably other people um, that are white can relate of having to really look squarely in the eye of the privilege that we have, and the um, you know I've been looking in the mirror a lot at myself as these things have come about at the silent participation that I've had and what's been going on and, um, and having whatever small platform or small audience or whatever I've been, um, blessed with from the work that I've been doing as a coach and as an author and all of that stuff and really looking at why haven't I been speaking out about this? Like what, what is it? And, and I, and I think that it's, it's just a big look in the mirror and it's, and I think it's tough to face that. So I appreciate that. I appreciate that's That's courageous and it's honest. And, um, I can appreciate that. Thanks, Cara. Let's oh, take a breath. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's, um, you know, it's, it's not easy. Um, it's humbling. It is. Um, but when we talk about this topic, I think there's so many parallels to dealing with this topic. Um, there's so many parallels to parenting. Parenting mm-hmm. is humbling. 
Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, the same way that people of color can never stop, you know, dealing with race, whereas our white brothers and sisters can, you know, say, I'm tired, I don't talk about this, and I want to yeah. deal with it, you know. It, it's the same as, you know, for those of us who are really well-intentioned about being good parents, we can't stop being good parents when we're tired or when we're sick or, you know, when other things in our lives aren't going so well or, you know, um, you know we're dealing with older parents or whatever is right. going we have to keep parenting. Yeah. And so when we talk about this topic of race and racism and how to, you know, really parent around this topic, I tell parents to really draw on the same things that they have that they're great at when they draw on just, you know, for their general parenting skills. Yeah. So you've got the skills. You know, each of your moms out there have the skill set. Um, they, they may be uh, being applied in a new uh, arena, right? And there are going to be some uh, shaky moments and some moments of discomfort and some mistakes and um, feeling like we didn't do it right. But don't we have those in parenting too? Yeah. Right? So I think that when you feel stuck, or when any of us feel stuck, um, particularly for our audiences of parents, right. um, it's a really uh, uh, useful thing to just draw on the skills that we have as parents in general. Um, yeah. And so taking that breath is really good. Yeah. You know, what's a breath for you could be a martini for someone else. I don't know. <laughs> I've been guilty of the glass of wine, I will say. <laughs> <laughs> in all seriousness though like really that that's that's useful yeah that's useful yeah um is there anything else that you would love to cover or say on the show um well there's so many things we could talk about I right know, i know but there are two things that I'd like to um just leave leave you and your yeah moms with yeah and the first thing is that um it's so important for us to create a safe space for our children to be able to talk about race um no matter what side of the coin they're coming from no matter their perspective whether they're experiencing something around their racial identity or whether they're um you you're feeling like they're the you know, the um, perpetrator of, you know, of doing something that makes you very uncomfortable. We've got to create a safe space for our, our, our kids, our children, so that um, they know that it's okay to talk about race. I mean, that is, if we could get past that, then I feel like we could run this race so much faster. Yeah. Right? So what that looks like very quickly is, if your daughter comes home and says, or if you're in the grocery store and she says, that black man scares me, you know, what some parents might do, understandably so, is go, shh, don't say that and never talk about it again. Right. So number one, you've sent the message that it's not okay to, to identify my feelings, right. <laughs> which is not good, right? I mean, right. that's not that's not something we want to, you know, to support our children in like 
bearing their feelings, right? So we've done that. And two, we've lost the opportunity to really unpack what's behind that statement and to um, create a moment of awareness for our children to help them understand where they've gotten those messages and a moment of awareness for ourselves in helping us to understand what we either have modeled for them right. or what we have not modeled for them. Right. So that's one thing I'd like to leave. Yeah. And then the last thing I'd like to leave with you, and I just want to read something uh, very quickly, but I want to read this because um, there are so many of us having this collective conversation across all platforms in our homes, social media, in our schools, in our workplaces, um, on the beach. I mean, just on our vacations, right? Everywhere these conversations are happening. And what I'm hearing over and over and over again from people who do this work professionally to lay people who are just wanting to protect their children um, and who don't know what to say to their children, to people who don't know what to do but want to desperately do something. Yeah. I just want to read this. Um, and I was reminded of this, um, of this story. I, uh, I'll just hold this book up. Um, Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria by Dr. Beverly Daniel Tatum, who um, is an academic and an author and uh, uh, um, uh, does a lot of work around race and racial identity theory. Mm. Um, and it, it's not her story, but it's in her book. And um, this is to answer, you know, the question of what do I do? I'm exhausted. I don't know what else I can do. You know, so yeah. it says a young girl was walking along a beach. To her amazement, she came upon thousands of starfish. Washed ashore by a storm, they were dying in the hot sun. The girl began to toss starfish back into the sea, one by one. After a while, a man approached her. Little girl, he asked, why are you doing this? There are thousands of starfish on the beach. You cannot possibly hope to make a difference. The girl was discouraged and dropped a starfish in her hand. But a moment later, she bent down, picked up the starfish again, and tossed it as far as she could see into the sea. She turned back to the man. Smiling brightly, she said, I made a difference to that one. Inspired, he joined her. A crowd had gathered, and soon others joined in. Before long, there were hundreds of people tossing starfish back into the sea and calling out, I made a difference to that one. After a while, their calls subsided. The girl looked up. To her amazement, she saw no starfish on the beach. Each one had been tossed back into the sea. Mm. So if we all just do our part and impact our homes and our spaces within our communities, and if we do that all across our country and the world, then we can make a difference in our way. And that's just what I want to leave you with. Thank you so very much, Cara. I've learned so much. I have enjoyed this conversation. I've, um, I'm activated by this conversation. I may have to, after the camera's off, just have a good cry about this conversation. Just really, really powerful, very powerful. And I just want to remind everyone that you can um, learn more about Kara and her work at mindhearted.com. 
you know, Cara, one of the things I ask all the moms that are on my show um, as a closing question, if that's okay with you, um, is just what's the messy and what's the magical about motherhood for you these days? Oh, (laughs) Um, the messy right now is I have a new teenager Mm. and, um, you know what, really, the messy is um, worrying that she is going to have to, um, the messy is worrying about whether my daughter will have the fortitude to feel good about who she is as a Black girl. and whether she'll be safe emotionally or physically. That's the messy right now. Yeah. Um, And then there's that teenage stuff too. (laughs) Um, The magic is that I have the privilege of raising this magical, amazing, generous, um, complicated child who continues to teach me so much about myself and the world. And, um, I'm just so grateful. I'm so, I have so much gratitude for being her mom. Incredible. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of your wisdom and, um, Thank you, mamas, for tuning in. Please share the show. I think this is one of the most important shows I've done to date. So please, um, please share the show with the people in your life that you love. And um, I'll be back next week continuing this series here on the Mama Truth Show. So with that, it's Amy Ehlers signing off. You can join us at mamatruthcircle.com. And in the meantime, just keep embracing the messiness and the magic of motherhood. Thanks for listening, mamas. Did you know that Amy has a new ebook out? It's called Sacred Self-Care for Moms, Seven Steps to Nurturing Yourself So You Can Be the Mom You Were Born to Be. And you can receive your free copy by going to sacredselfcarebook.com. That's sacredselfcarebook.com. And please don't keep the Mama Truth Show a secret. The biggest compliment you can give is to share the Mama Truth Show with your loved ones and write a review on iTunes. Until next time, keep embracing the messiness and the magic of motherhood.